Amen. If you would take your Bible then and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm going to read the entire chapter, just 14 verses, in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained from men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. No man taketh this honor under himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself, who made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, Seeing you're a doll of hearing, for when for your time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil." So the title of the message this morning is, And Being Made Perfect, taken there from verse 9. Uh, being Made Perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you that, that uh, for the scriptures and the confidence we can have in the word of God. And I pray that as we look into the word of God today that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the truth. And I pray you to help me as I preach. I pray that your word go forth in demonstration of the spirit and of power and find lodging in our hearts for our good and thy glory. We do pray that there be any in our midst this morning who have never been born again that might see their need of him who to know right is life eternal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 8 through 11... The Apostle Paul states what God's purpose and will was for life. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, it says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. So Paul there states in 2 Timothy 1 what God's purpose and will was for his life. 
It was a purpose that he resisted for a good portion of his life, which he came to regret by referring to himself as the chief of sinners. You see, God has a will and a purpose for every person that he gives life, and he has revealed that purpose in his word. In his word. But it isn't incumbent upon us, and though Paul. Although God had a purpose for Paul's life, he did not know it until he submitted to him. So it is incumbent upon us to submit to his divine purpose, which was given us, for us, before the world began. And God's will, as a general rule, God's will is to be made perfect in Christ. To allow God, through Christ, to perform His good pleasure in us. In other words, to bring us to the end goal. You know, the goal in a football game is to get to the end zone. The end goal. The finish line. And the goal for us should be, and the idea of the the phrase here, being made perfect, means to bring to the end goal. The proposed place that God has for us. To bring us into the state that is befitting or right with Him. And so it's this morning when we look at being made perfect. Being made perfect. And I wanted you to notice three things here this morning. First of all, an understanding of God's purpose for life. Secondly, it requires a submission to God's will and purpose. And then thirdly, we're going to look at it requires an application of God's word to your life. So as we begin, first of all, an understanding, you know, if we're going to be made perfect or brought to the end goal or the, 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 the life that is befitting Him for us before God, we must have an understanding of God's purpose and will for life. <coughs> we see that here in verses 1 through 7, but I tell you, I notice several things. First of all, we have to understand that God's purpose is to save us from our sins. That's, that's where it all begins. To understand that God's, it's God's will to save us from our sins. You notice in verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now, the high priest's job was to offer sacrifices for sins. That was part of his job description. You know, these Old Testament sacrifices were types or pictures of Christ who was to come, you know, they were, they were substitutes for, the, for a person paying for their own sin. They were substitutes. In other words, they died in place. They were offered in place of people. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God told Adam and Eve the day they ate of that, that the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the day they eat, they would surely die. Now, they didn't die. Because of their disobedience. But something did. Something died. Animals died. And from those animals, God made coats of skins and clothed them. You see, there was a substitute. Something died in their place to cover their sin. Which they were made aware of their sin by their nakedness. All of a sudden, you know, they were naked before. And they, didn't, they, didn't ever, they didn't think two cents about it. You know, sort of like a little baby. They don't know if they're naked or not. They're innocent. And they were innocent. They didn't realize they were naked. But when they, after they sinned and rebelled against God, they understood they were, 
They were naked before God. And so God provided a substitute. Animals died to provide a covering for their sin that was made, that made evident by their awareness of their nakedness. In Genesis chapter 22, we see this, again, substitutional sacrifice. You know, when, when Isaac asked Abraham, uh, you know, Father, we have the wood and the fire, but where's the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. And we know that Abraham bound Isaac and put him on the altar to, to slay him. And, and the Lord called him out of heaven and told him and stopped him. And then he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And he offered the ram in Isaac's place. And of course, that ram speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, our substitutional sacrifice for sin. You see, we need a sacrifice. We need a substitute to save us from our sins, to save us from our own selves, our own choices, our own rebellion against God. And John the Baptist pointed out Jesus in John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He was our substitute. So we have to have an understanding of God's purpose of saving us is to save us First of all, to save us from our sins. And that Christ is our substitutional sacrifice for sin. Notice this verses 5 through 7. So also Christ glorified not himself, to made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. The words begotten thee means to be born. To be born. And so, you know, he says, this day have I begotten thee. And you know, we might ask ourselves the question, well, what is there about the birth of Christ that agrees with this statement? Well, in Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1, in verses 28 through 35, we will understand uh, what it is. Luke chapter 1, verse 28 says, The angel came unto her, that is to Mary, and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Of course, this is speaking of the, the virgin birth of Christ in that Jesus did not become the Son of God then at His incarnation or at His birth when He was born of Mary, but He did become something that He was not before. And that was a man. You see, He was the Son from eternity past, but when He was born of Mary, He became a man. He became a man. You know, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. 
Hebrews 10 tells us. So he became a man. And, and so he became a man for one purpose, and that purpose is, and, and, and of course, he's going to be a man for all eternity, but that one purpose is to die in our place. He became one of us. That he might be our substitute for sin. To pay our sin debt that we could not pay because we have our own sin. You can't pay for your own your sin when you have sin of your own. Unless you're going to spend eternity in hell. See, he paid for our sin to bring us into relationship with God. First Peter, First Peter three, eighteen says. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God. See, he became a man that he might die to bring us unto God, to save us from our sins. He is our substitutional sacrifice for sin. For sin. You know, he came into the world through the virgin birth to become a man, to die for mankind. You know, he spoke of this when he was when he was uh, teaching his disciples in John chapter 10 and, and verse 11 through 18, John 10, 11, uh, uh, John 10, 11 through 18, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf cometh, and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. The wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them, which, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received." Of my father. And of course here in Hebrews 5 and verse 7. It says. Who in the days of his flesh. When he had offered up prayers and supplications. With strong crying and tears. That would have been in the garden of Gethsemane. It says. Unto him that was able to save him from death. And was heard. And that he feared. And you say oh wait a minute. He asked. He, he, he gave strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he still died. His body did. But he didn't go to hell. He didn't die for all eternity. See, if you die without Christ, you're going to die an eternal death, separated from God. Oh, yes, his body died, but his spirit didn't. His spirit what? did not die. You see, he was delivered from death, from eternal death by the resurrection from the dead. He was heard. He was heard. And the Father kept him from eternal death. Therefore, he is the author of eternal salvation. In verse 9 it says, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. That word author means that he is that in which the cause of anything resides. The only way, or the only means through which you can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. 
He is the cause of anyone having eternal life. Which means if your hope of your if your hope of eternal life is in anyone or anything else, you're facing death for all eternity. In hell. So we must have an understanding of God's purpose and will for life, and that is to save us. And the only, the only acceptable sacrifice for sin is the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, if we're going to be made perfect, in other words, brought to the end goal where God wants us to be, it requires a, a submission to God's will and purpose. Notice verses 8 through 10. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know, he, you know, of course, the perfect example of this submission, you know, he, he became obedient, that is, he submitted to, uh, to the Father, he is the perfect example of, of this submission. Though he were a son, though he was God, it says, yet he learned obedience. Obedience. See, as a man, he learned obedience. The Bible says, we looked in the last chapter, that says, verse 15, he was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. He learned obedience. He learned what it was to obey the Father. To submit to the Father. That word learn means to learn by use and practice. To be in the habit of. Become accustomed to. You know, doing what is right, we have to learn to do it. But as we learn, it becomes a habit. It becomes something that we're accustomed to. It becomes something that we're comfortable with. More comfortable with. You know, we're, we're always going to struggle with, with doing right that, that, because we have our human nature. But, but as we yield more and more to the Spirit of God, it'll be something that will become more and more a habit to us. Responding in the right way. That's learning. It's learning. You know, Titus 3.14 says, And let us let ours also learn to maintain good works. In other words, by use and practice, come in the habit of maintaining good works for necessary uses. Philippians 4.11, Paul said, Not that I respeak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, understand what Paul's saying here. What he's saying is, I wasn't always a contented man. I wasn't always a contented man. I used to be very demanding, wanting my way or the highway, controlling other people's lives. That's the way Paul was. If you didn't agree with him, he wanted you arrested. Even if your life wasn't affecting his... But just because you disagreed with him, he wanted you arrested. So like they're starting to do in our country, right? 
Yeah, see, he was a very, he was a, he was a very discontented man. But, God, but what he's saying here is, God has taught me through suffering, through enduring hardship, I have learned, not, by not getting my own way, I have learned how to be content in every situation. You know, sometimes God has to put us in a corner where we have no way out. But just trust Him. You know, what was Paul doing? He was driving, other, driving everybody else away from him. You know, Jesus, the Bible says here of Jesus, He learned obedience. In other words, compliance with. What did that mean? Compliance with. Well, it means this. John 6, 38. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now we all understand what that will was. Dying. Dying. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. You see, we're not here We're not here to find ourselves, to seek our own way, to do our own thing, to live our own life. But that's what many people think will make them happy. But you know, if you're unhappy now, you'll be more unhappy and dissatisfied when you get what you want. I've seen it happen over and over again. Isn't that what the Bible says? He that saveth his life shall lose it. Look at 2 Timothy again. And that I read earlier, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Who has saved us and called us unholy? Here's a man who's sitting on death row. He's just waiting to be executed. And he says, uh, uh, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner or the afflictions of the gospel. That's why he was there. He says, according to the power, who has saved us and called us with a holy... This is a holy calling, but it's not according to our works, but according to His own purpose of grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for which cause I also suffer for these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He would say in Philippians 1.21, again writing from a prison cell, For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. To die is gain. Can you say that? If you're living for self, can you say to die is gain? You see, if we're going to have the Lord perfect us, being made perfect, it requires a submission to the will of God. Thirdly, it requires an application 
of God's words to your life. Verses 11 through 14. I want to notice several things here. First of all, there must be a heart to understand. Verse 11 through 13 says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. See, there must be a heart to understand. And he's saying it's hard to explain something to someone who's not listening. You, know, you can't explain something to someone who's not listening or someone who lacks interest or don't care about what you're talking about. The word dull here means slow, sluggish. It's used only one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Hebrews 6, 12. Uh, 11 and 12, where it says, And we desire that every one of you do the same, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So don't be slothful. Don't be, you know, you know, you know uh, it's the idea you don't, you don't pay much attention. And, you know, they don't need your help. They already know. That's someone that's dull hearing. You know, they already know they are not the problem. It is you or the other person. You know, the Jews pride themselves in keeping the commandments of God. But according to them, the Son of God violated His own commandments by healing on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine that? Yeah, and they said that his, defi- his disciples defiled themselves by eating with unwashing hands. Therefore, not keeping the commandments of the fathers. Jesus said it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out. It's what comes out. See, to understand, see, he, these were people that pride themselves in knowing the scriptures. And yet, they seem to be totally unaware that they were the ones that violated them. See, to understand requires listening to learn to change your way. Not force your way. You know, too often relationships, our focus is on what we want, and we try to force it on others and it destroys. That's what, that's what the Pharisees do. They were, they were coming up with their own interpretations, what they wanted out of the law, and trying to force it on everyone else. The same is true in our relationship with God. We try to make what we want fit God's plan for us. So many people try to make God who they want and will not accept Him as He is. You know, a pastor, I read this in a book, a pastor made a statement in a seminar about God. And one man responded that he liked to think of God differently. And for several minutes he gave a picture of a friendly deity as wise but not meddling, compassionate but never overpowering, ever resourceful but never interrupting. This, he said, quote, 
is how I like to think of God, unquote. The pastor responded with, quote, Thank you for telling us so much about yourself, but we are concerned about what God is really like, not simply about our own desires, unquote. You see, he was giving an idea of what he wanted God to be. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. But how often do we do that? Because we don't want to hear what God has to say. You know, in Mark 16, 14, Jesus said to the disciples, afterward he appeared unto the eleven, as they sat at meat and upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. In other words, they were slow to believe that he actually rose from the dead when he had told them many times he was going to rise from the dead. You see, it went against their natural understanding of things. Therefore, they couldn't accept it. You know, James 1.18 says, Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And that word firstfruits of his creatures has the idea of a, a likeness of Christ. And what does that likeness look like? Well, James 1.19, he goes on and says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, that every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You see, too often we're swift to speak and we're slow to hear. And God compares that kind of person to babies. To babies. If you notice in verse 13, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. If you compare that with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this was the only church in the New Testament that that the Apostle Paul called carnal, and he says you walk as babes, or you're like babes. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, he says, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? And then he talks about the divisions that they had. In other words, they they were looking at things from a human standpoint. They were looking at things from God's viewpoint. They were looking at things how they wanted them. How they wanted them. Their own understanding. And carnal people, he, he, he writes in the Corinthians that carnal people, not just unsaved people, but carnal Christians do not understand spiritual truth because they look at it from a human standpoint. Verse 14, chapter 2. Natural man receiveth not things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So if you're looking at things from human nature's standpoint, you're not going to understand the things of God. You've got to look at him and understand him by the Spirit of God. You 
If you're not yielded to the Spirit of God, you wouldn't understand. You see, they were self-centered, earthly-minded. Their focus is on self. They had already judged themselves to be right in their own mind, and everything else is wrong, including God. That's the way the Pharisees looked at things. And that's the way these Hebrew Christians were starting to look at things. They were looking at the world they lived in and saying, unless we go along with and succumb to the things of the world, all that's going to happen to us is bad. You know, that's kind of how it's looking right now. But who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? See, the modern day Christian says, you know, well, we need to live in this world. We need to get along with the world. We need to, you know, we need to to, to compromise with the world and, and meet them where they are and all this kind of thing. And they're not really hearing, they're interpreting things by their own understanding. So there must be a hearing, a, a heart to understand, a willingness to hear. You know, sort of like the guy who says, you know, don't tell me, don't try to correct me, I regard my mind made up. Secondly, there must also be an application of what we hear. There has to be an application of what we hear and understand. In verse 14, Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, simply, there must be a doing of the word. You know, too often we go through acting like God doesn't know what we are doing. Paying Him no mind. But there must be an application. It says, who have reason of use. The word use, again, has the idea of a habit, whether of body or of mind. It's a power acquired by custom practice. You know, if they they say if if you want to train for self-defense, you train and train and train until you could do it with your eyes closed. It's just a natural reaction. You know, police are supposed to train so that you know, they don't all be fuddled when, when, when an emergency situation happens. It's just a natural reaction. They're going to draw their gun. They're going to be ready. They're going to be, it's going to be a natural reaction. When the one magazine is empty, they flop it out, put another in. It's a natural reaction. Why? Because they practice, practice, practice. They've used it. You know, the same is true with the Word of God. We need to, when we come to the Word of God, we need, to, we need to work at it, practice, use it, apply it to life. The word senses, it's an organ of perception, an external sense. It's a faculty of the mind for perceiving or understanding. See, we need to, we need to have our senses, our 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 senses exercised. That word exercised means to exercise vigorously in any way, either the body or the mind, of one who strives earnestly to be godly. So, you know, 
you know, we, 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 we are growing up, we grew up in this world, and every one of us to a certain extent has been allowed to exercise our fleshly senses. And now God's telling us, instructing us to reverse that. You got to turn it around. That's what conversion means. You turn it around. Now where God's telling us, look, you need to, you need to yield to me. Not do your own thing. Not used to having your own way, but you need to yield your 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 body and your minds to me, and exercise and use what I say, put it into practice. You know, you're going to have to practice that just like you practice to drive. You know, one of the ways that, you know, one of the children's training books we had when our kids were little was to, to teach them to obey. You put them in scenarios. Well, they were playing with their favorite toy. And then mommy would command them to come. Ah, but they're playing with their favorite toy. Yeah, but to, to understand that mom has priority. And they are to obey on command. That's what God is saying here to to retrain ourselves, to, to make it a useful habit to exercise our senses, to become godly. If we don't work at it, we're going to continue in our ungodly ways. You see, the purpose of this exercise is to discern, if you notice it says, who by reason of use, verse 14, the end of the verse, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The only way you're going to learn to discern good and evil is to exercise your senses. So that you can discern, that means to distinguish or judge between good and evil, right and wrong. You know, you have to learn to exercise your tongue, right? You know, the Bible says, let no filthy communication proceed out of thy mouth. Was your tongue ever used for filthy communication? Do you know you have to retrain that thing? That means you have to remind yourself. And and you do that by putting the Word of God, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, talks about The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, the Word of God is actually more powerful than your flesh. But you have to put it in your mind and in your heart and be willing to receive it. And as you're willing to receive it, it will change your tongue. Because it will train your mind what is acceptable speech to God, before God. See, the Bible talks over and over again about being a doer of the word and not hearer only, lest we deceive our own selves. In Matthew 7, he talks about whereby by their fruits you shall know them. And not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
And then he says, I liken him unto a man that built his house upon a rock. In other words, it's what you do with what you hear. How do we learn that? By allowing the Word of God to teach us right and wrong behavior, right and wrong responses, to examine us and then applying it in real life. Now, let me give you an example of one who did not. King Saul was to wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifice the seventh day, 1 Samuel 13. The seventh day came, and Samuel had not yet come. So he forced himself and offered the sacrifice. And as soon as he did, guess who came? Samuel. You see, he, his human reasoning was, if I don't offer this sacrifice, the Philistines are going to come down, and I've not asked favor of God, and they're going to slay us all. You know, and I, he was all worried about it. And, you know, in his flesh, he was worried about it. Samuel said, don't you do anything Do I offer the sacrifice. Did Samuel come the seventh day? Yes, he did. He just didn't come as early as it suited Saul. And God said, Thy kingdom shall not continue. You see, he didn't listen. He listened to what he wanted to hear. He was told to go and destroy the Amalekites. And again, he did not listen to every word of God from Samuel, but chose his own interpretation, kept the king of life, the best of the sheep, and the best of the oxen, And God called it rejecting the word of the Lord. See, sometimes we so we think things are not happening the way we think they should, so we we do it our own way and try to make God fit our opinions or our agenda. Let me give you a little secret. God isn't going to fit anybody's agenda. He's not going to. He never did mine. I don't know why he would yours. It doesn't work very well. See, too often we interpret things according to our desires. You know, the disciples, and again, this is human nature. The disciples struggled with the death of Christ. Why? Because it did not fit their desires. They wanted a king also. And dying, we don't want our Savior to die. We don't want our King to die. But that was God's will. And you and I don't like to die either. But you know that is God's will. You die to yourself. You die to yourself. And you'll resurrect to walk in newness of life. Newness. Speaks of a something fresh and vibrant, life-giving. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God wants us to walk in newness of life. He wants us to be made perfect. To be brought to that place of perfection where we walk it with Him and keep His commandments. So that we, and the purpose of this is, 
that you and I might have compassion on the ignorant. Look at verse 2. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassionate with infirmity. You know, there's a lot of people around you, I'm not talking about here this morning, but in your little world in which you live, there's lots of people around you that you rub shoulders with every day that are ignorant of God's righteousness. They're ignorant of God. They're compassed with infirmity. They're dying. They're on their way to hell. And if you allow God to work in your life to perfect you, you can be used to have compassion on those ignorant. To bring them hope. To be a witness and testimony for the Lord. To those that don't know him. But you know, if you're going to be made perfect, of course you must have a relationship with him. Are you saved? If you want the Lord to perfect you, you must be willing to listen, to understand. You must be a doer of what you hear, not just a hearer, lest you deceive your own selves. The story is told of a after all day fishing in the Scottish Highlands, some fishermen gathered in a small inn for tea. And a waitress set a cup of tea down on the table and Someone knocked over the teacup, and the tea spilled across the table and all over the wall. Whitewashed the wall with an ugly brown stain. But a guest stood up and said, never mind. And he took a crayon from his pocket, and he began to sketch a beautiful stag with antlers on the wall. The artist was Sir Edwin Landseer, painter of animals in England. You see, if an artist can do that with an ugly stain, what can God do with lives stained by sin? See, the Bible says here, Though your son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered, and being made perfect... He became the author of eternal salvation. You know, God can perfect you if you're willing, if you're pliable, if you're moldable. He can perfect you that you can be the instrument of taking that salvation to someone else. Are you willing to allow him to perfect you?